Welcome to The Upshot, multi-world disc golf's podcast about the latest in the disc golf world. I am the editor, Charlie Eisenhood, from Las Vegas, Nevada. Josh Mansfield joins me from Pocatello, Idaho. We are out here on the western half of the United States. And it is time to talk about something that happened all the way on the other side of the country in Appling, Georgia. The Champions Cup is a wrap. Our first major of the season. Our first springtime major in since, I guess, the Australian Open. And really, that was like a wintertime major. It, it, it's so nice to have a major championship competed for at this time of year. And when it was all said and done, the wins go to previous major champions, Paige Pierce, beating out Kristen Tatar on the 72nd hole of the tournament, and Chris Dickerson outdueling Ricky Wysocki and Calvin Heimberg in uh, really like a classic final round. And so, so much to talk about. I hope everybody had an opportunity to listen to our subscriber bonus segment where we did our rapid reaction show on Sunday afternoon. Um, and, uh, you know, really subscribe today and go back and listen to it because we're gonna we talked a lot about a, about a lot of stuff in that show that we're really not going to have time to get to today. And we really hope you'll join us for that. It's just uh, it's under four dollars a month. Discgolf.ultiworld.com slash subscribe. And we're doing that for every Elite Series event this season. Um, Josh, what we're going to do today, I think, if this sounds good to you, is just take a look, go through top storylines and hit a couple key points on each of those top storylines. And uh, and then we're going to do some, some purse watch and we're going to talk about uh, some other stuff that popped up today uh, or yesterday uh, that's kind of secondary to the tournament, but Kristen Tatar and her caddy. If you know what we're talking about, you know what we're talking about. We'll get to it a little bit later. But how does that sound, Josh? Some storyline rundown? Yeah, let's hit it. There's plenty of them to talk about without a doubt. Well, okay. I, wa- I want to start with Kristen Tatar and Paige Pierce. Tatar had a four-stroke lead heading into round three, and uh, she gets caught by Paige Pierce. They're tied heading into the final round, and then the players, the the lead seesaws back and forth. Tatar ends up taking a two-stroke lead late in the back nine when when Pierce double bogeys. Pierce gets a birdie on sixteen to cut the lead to uh, cut Tatar's lead to one, and then we get to eighteen. Tatar's in great position. Paige Pierce has an eagle look. Pierce misses the eagle look. Tatar steps up to her putt. She can birdie to win. Okay. And we talked about this extensively in our subscriber bonus segment. But what happens? She goes for it. She misses. Doesn't catch metal at all. Sails the basket. Has a long comebacker from outside the circle. Misses it. And then... To make matters worse, I'm like, I didn't even, it was, everything was happening so fast. I didn't even notice this during the broadcast originally. She actually missed again. Mm-hmm. Paige Pierce could have just laid up if she wanted, but she was so close. It didn't matter. Paige Pierce, birdie, and it's over. And just like that, all the work that Tatar had done all week, not only to build a big lead through two rounds, but then to take the lead late and have the lead going into the final hole is wasted. And... Mm-hmm. She could have easily forced a playoff if all she did was, I mean, she could have completely just laid up and forced a playoff. And we talked a bunch on in the show last week about, you know, what that might have meant. And so, Josh, when you have had now some time to, to kind of look back on this moment, 
do you do you still feel as we discussed on Sunday that she made a a catastrophic mistake in that moment I played a tournament about a month ago and during round one I could not throw my go-to mid-range I throw it into the dirt 100 feet away and in between rounds brother-in-law comes up to me and says take it out of your bag leave it in your car and don't throw it again Throw the disc that's working. And it may, might mean it's not ideal. It might mean you have to do different shots, but quit trying something that isn't working for you. Kristen Tatar was 0% for circle one for circle two on Sunday. She should have never run that putt. Here is the thing. as I've now had a t- chance to look at it again. Okay. And one of the things that I notice on a watch back is that when she misses, and it was definitely an aggressive putt. It was pretty flat. Mm-hmm. It was pretty hot. But when it misses, it hits a root, which causes it to stand up and roll. And when I kind of originally watched it, I don't feel like I noticed that as much. And so the one thing that I will say, I respect 100% that she went for it. You have mm-hmm. to try to make it to, to some degree. It, it would yeah. be pretty... It would be pretty crazy to just completely lay up like I'm not even going to try to make this 40-foot putt, in my opinion. But the way that she ran the putt, I still don't agree with. But I do yes. think she got a little unlucky. If that nor- hits dirt and just you know misses the way that it missed, but it hits dirt, it's probably going to skid up to 25 feet. But instead, it stood up and it rolled an extra 10 feet out of the circle. And, you know... I, I guess that's what can happen if you throw a putt like that. So, no, you know, it, I stand by what I said before. I really think that you have to make sure that you are guaranteed to make your second putt. Mm-hmm. You, you cannot put yourself in a position to have a putt you might miss. And that's what happened. And it's an error that, you know, she'll probably think about for years to come. Yes. Yeah, she probably will. And give it a lofty bid, like you're saying. Yeah. Toss it toss it up. Try to hyzer it down in. Right. Even at that 25-foot mark. Imagine it does just go 25 feet. She was only 50% from the 25-foot range. Right. Like, there's no guarantee she makes that comebacker. I, I just, when, when the putting is not your strong suit that day, you just have to accept that it's not there. And with a title on the line... That's it. If this is, I don't even know. Let's let's say it. Let's say it's cap merch against Paige Pierce, mm-hmm. or or pick, pick some underdog player who you figure is four to one against to win in a playoff against Paige Pierce. Then they got to do everything they can to make that putt and try to end the Agreed. game. Yep. It's like when, you know, you have in the college basketball March Madness tournament and the 14 seed is playing the two seed. Uh, I don't know if that I guess it would be the three seed, whatever. And they're down two with the ball with three seconds left. Shoot the three. Right. I mean, e- even if you can get a better look from two, you're probably not going to beat them in overtime. They're better than you. But that is not true for Christian Tatar. Christian Tatar, on the whole, on the whole, was the more consistent player this weekend. I think that's fair to say. 
Paige Pierce probably had higher highs, but she definitely had lower lows. Yep. Tatar had been more consistent start to finish throughout the weekend. And the putting was really the problem, especially in the final round. And so in that sense, in that sense, she should be happy to go to a playoff knowing that she is capable of winning because she's at worst a coin flip. It's not like she was the 14 seed. And so that's why I just think you have to give yourself a chance to make that second putt. There's no way around doing that. I mean, you, you, it, it's just a, it's a brutal mistake. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you just look at the scoring from the final round, Paige up until hole 18, so through 17, Paige had four, three bogeys and a double bogey and then had five birdies where Kristen had two bogeys and three birdies. I mean, that kind of consistency just rewards. I mean, it, everything favored Kristen going into that final or going into that playoff. I, I feel like it completely sure. did. I mean, again, at worst, you're a coin flip. Right. It's it's like if you're at the blackjack table, I'm, I'm here in Las Vegas. I'm playing blackjack this week. Yeah. For those that are wondering, I'm up a little bit. <laughs> And you're sitting on 16 and the dealer shows a six. You're not going to hit because they're going to bust way more often than not. Yep. So you don't, it's just like a risk reward decision that didn't make sense in that moment is really what it comes down to for me. And, you know, you can say, well, she should, she usually hits metal. She normally makes the putt. There's a lot of things you can say, but when you're off, you're off. When you're throwing your mid range in the dirt, a hundred feet in front. You got to just accept it and you got to do something different. That's right. So anyway, uh, a, a tough, a really tough way to go down. Um, there's a nice picture of Paige Pierce embracing Tatar afterwards. I mean, I think there's a ton of respect between the two competitors. It's not a love lost situation at all. I think they really like competing against one another. It was a great battle. It was a great battle. And Paige Pierce hung in there. I mean, the commentators are writing her off. They're saying it's over after 16. Don't say it's over when it's not over, by the way. And, you know, she almost made the eagle. Which would have put her in front. So uh, it was just an amazing uh, moment. And what what does this mean? Let's talk about Pierce's legacy at this point. She's now tied for the most major championships of all time in FPO, 16. Tied with Valerie Jenkins Doss. And will almost certainly become the winningest player of all time in the majors. It's hard to imagine her not winning at least another one. She's won five of the last seven, I think. Um, so, you know, and, and it's pretty incredible because she, she remember, she was, had a really bad first round. And she came all the way back down four strokes after two rounds, got it back to even after three rounds, and then ends up winning it. And you have to be impressed by what she was able to do. Well, shout out real quick to Steve over at Statmando who hit us up with a major stat dump. I mean, he gave us so many good facts that we're going to be using in today's show. First one that we're going to hit you with, this is the second time that she's been in 11th place after round one and then came back for the win. She, she was outside the top 10 after her first round. That was the other time was back in 2015 worlds, but just what an impressive comeback over. And that's why majors are four rounds. You know, Charlie, though, I think that uh, I really felt left disappointed after, you know, Kristen misses that putt. And then we didn't go to a match play 
for uh, the final top four, but uh, <laughs> um, who you know, cares that you missed a butt on eighteen? <laughs> We're going to match play. Um, it, it really was a, a comeback for Paige to to get there. And what I think is really interesting is that that final round was not <laughs> it was not Paige's finest. It, it wasn't Kristen's finest. It was page one through a really bad round one, cruising through round two and three in order to put herself back in position, and then just hung on for round four. And that that's sometimes all you need is just to hang on. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's fair to say, you know, with as much focus as we just put on 18, and everybody's thinking about that, understandably so. Uh, you know, Kristen Tatar had opportunities to put this thing away a long time before. You know, she just did not play well in the final two rounds. Like yep. if you if you look at her scoring through the rounds, okay, let's go back and let's take a look. Round one, Kristen Tatar shoots a three under. She's one off the lead. Round two, she shoots a five under. Now she has a four stroke lead. So well under par, both of the first two rounds. Round three, she shoots an even par. Round four, she's one over. Go eight under through the first two, one over through the second two. Many opportunities to have won this tournament. It did not need to come down to 18. And, you know, I, I think it's just been, it's, Kristen Tatar, despite this, continues her streak of finishing on the podium at every single event in 2022. Do not forget this, okay? She has been the most consistent player on tour. Incredibly high-level competition. The thing is, She's just had a little bit of an issue with not playing her best in some element of the game. I mean, she's even said it herself in interviews. Like, my upshots weren't quite right this round. My drives weren't quite right this round. Couldn't have my putting going. And I think we saw some of the same issues pop up here. Kind of the same thing we've seen with Paul McBeth so far this season. We'll get to him in a little bit. But before we move on, I, I do want to play this clip from... Paige Pierce's post-round interview. She's talking to Terry Miller right after winning the title. Let's listen. Whichever way it went, it was going to be a lifetime memory for me. Um, I don't want to single you out, but Dad, I'm talking to you and all the fathers or moms out there. Um, my dad and I got into an argument recently that winning is everything and success is winning and you know, I'm walking up the last few holes and thinking if I lose, I still am out here doing what I love. And like Alyssa tells me every day, we're on a magical rock floating through space. And we forget about that sometimes. We're living a, a, a crazy life and I'm out here doing what I love every day. And so for the parents out there that are pushing your kids too hard, that are checking the report cards, making sure they get straight A's. And, you know, when I call my dad after a tournament, it's like, do better, win, you know? And don't hate my dad. I know there's lots of dads like this. I love my dad, please, no disrespect to my dad, but winning is not everything. And I don't know where else I'm going with that, but I want that message to go out to the parents that are being too hard on their kids. And, you know, this is, this is awesome to have another major in my career, but even more so just the last few events of just realizing like I'm living the dream. I really am. So there's Paige Pierce. Josh, your thoughts on an emotional and certainly different post round interview. 
I think this is a really refreshing interview. Um, I've seen a couple of times in discussions around Paige's dad and kind of her introduction to the sport. And I've always thought and kind of had in the back of my head the question of, sounds like a dad who's really hard on their kid to succeed. You can tell Paige does love her dad. But there, it's a, it's a hard balance and a hard relationship when you have someone like that who feels that that kind of success is so critical to them. I think it's refreshing to see from athletes and it's refreshing to see from someone who obviously pushes herself to be the best and to know that it's not always sunshine and roses and, you know, congratulations to Paige. And I appreciate that message that she definitely shared. It's very interesting. I feel like what we saw there was somebody who was mentally prepared to lose the tournament. And imagine the same exact interview with Paige had she lost. Mm -hmm. It would have made a lot more sense. And look, it feels like a double-edged sword to have a parent like that. You know, think about the fact, I mean, we're talking about one of the greatest winners ever in disc golf. <laughs> talking about winning isn't everything. And I don't know if she was talking to about herself or if she was talking about Kristen and feeling the emotions for Kristen that she surely knew that she felt at that time. Because let's remember, Paige Pierce was in a very similar spot just last year at the World Championships. It wasn't a putt, but it was a similar catastrophic mistake in a situation mm -hmm. where she had an opportunity to win the tournament. And so she knows what that feels like. And she knows how Kristen is feeling right now. It's just, an, it was a very strange ending to the tournament because it was so, it was like this massive, like air out of the balloon. You know, you have this gigantic buildup to this putt and then it's just like total disaster strikes. Like you're mentally preparing yeah. yourself either for Kristen to win or we're going to a playoff and then it's over. And then Paige gives this interview when she's just won the event and she's got this giant trophy. Very interesting and highly dramatic disc golf. Uh, let us know your thoughts. Upshot at ultiworld.com and uh, hit us up in the discord. So let's shift gears and talk about Chris Dickerson, who wins his second major championship at the Champions Cup. He becomes just the third player to win multiple majors in the last five years. Macbeth has five in that span. James Conrad has two. And now Chris Dickerson has two. You know, Eagles got Kona Pichte in 2018. Barsby won 18 Worlds. Ricky won 2017 Worlds. But none of those guys has a second major in that span. And... Not only that, but the way that he did it is incredibly impressive. He birdied the last five holes to to win, Josh. And this is the first time he's ever come from behind in the final round to win an elite series or a major. So every other time he's been in the lead. And I, I mean, he's clearly one of the best players at playing with a lead. We've seen him just be extremely effective when he has a lead. But for him to go in against two of the best players on the planet, in Ricky Wysocki and Calvin Heimberg and beat them and do it by not having them collapse. He really went out and took it. And like you could argue that Ricky or Calvin could have played better and won. Sure, of course. But 
you know, when you birdie the last five to claim the win on a course like W.R. Jackson, where birdies are not given out easily on those last five holes, you got to tip the cap because that was an incredible performance that we just saw. Watching those last five holes, it was really exceptional because I was more concerned with watching Ricky and Calvin because it felt like Chris's birdie was inevitable. So it was the question of could Calvin and Ricky hit their lines or were they – and really the question going in, by 18 it was done and dusted. But I was wondering from that point, I'm kind of doing math in my head, and I thought to myself, by four holes left, you know, so we're we're at 14, you need – Ricky and Calvin to birdie out and then you really need to get that eagle at the end and hope that maybe Chris makes a small mistake somewhere. But just mathematically, I was banking on the fact that they were going to need an eagle going into that final hole and because Chris's birdies felt inevitable. That's how good he was playing. For hole 17, for him to step up and lace that drive on hole 17. So sick. Nerves of steel. Nerves of steel. And that that's when that tournament felt pretty well done and dusted for Chris. We, regardless of that result from there, it felt like Ricky was not going to be able to scramble. That drive made it so that Chris took home the win that day. If you look back now at what Chris Dickerson has done, he now has five Elite Series or major wins. And so in 2018, he won the Pro Tour Championship. And then he backed it up in 2019 with another Pro Tour Championship win. A year later, in October, he won the U.S. Disc Golf Championships. It's his first major. Then he won GMC last year for his first sort of standard Pro Tour win. And now he wins the Champions Cup uh, for his second major win. And, you know, we talked about this Sunday, but Chris doesn't win as much as Ricky and Paul an eagle, and Calvin. He has not, like, he only has one tour win. Like, outside of the Pro Tour Championships and the majors, he only has one tour win. But you know what? When it matters the most, he continues to show up and play fantastic. And if you look back, he has been one of the most consistent players at the majors over the last three years. He has now extended his streak since 2019 Worlds of being in the top five at every single major. Fifth at 2019 Worlds, fifth at USDGC that year, then he won it in 2020. 2021 Worlds, he was fourth. Last year's USDGC was fifth, and then he wins Champions Cup. The only player with a better average finish in that time span is Ricky Wysocki. And Ricky has no wins in that span. Right. I mean, that... That's pretty incredible. Like, Chris tours less, but do not mistake yes. this man for anything but one of the best players on the earth. And right now, Josh, he's number one. He is number one with this win. Yeah, You have to give it to him. I don't know how you can't. You uh, you ready for this, though, Charlie? The uh, UDISC World Rankings still has Chris at number two. Behind who? Behind Rick? Ricky. Yep. I get it, but the man just beat him head to head. Like, uh, sure, you want to look at the past year's performance or whatever the U.S. Uh, the U.S. rankings do. I get it, but like, I think that you know we should weight majors more. And like, in my mind, he's number one right now. I I agree. I think Chris Dickerson is number one. I think going into 
going in, he's not going to Europe, but going into this next stretch, Jonesboro, DDO, I don't see any reason why Chris couldn't continue to play exceptionally well and perform well and get more wins. And you know what? Even if he doesn't, he's going to show up at the majors and, That's right. <laughs> you know, like he might win the Worlds. He very well could. Like, we were talking about how you know, all, all he's done so far this year is win Silver Series events. Well, the guy just switched bags. Yeah. <laughs> and then he just won in the woods. It's amazing. It is. I, I, yeah, I'm, a- I'm so impressed. And, like, it, it, it feels like it, you almost didn't see him coming until he won it. I mean, it's not like you didn't know he was there, but it was like everyone assumed it was going to be Ricky or Calvin. I feel like mm-hmm. if you if you polled people, ninety percent of people would have picked one of those guys to win. And yet, it's I think, Chris Dickerson. I think you've got the perfect title because you know when you've got Paige's legacy, absolutely. But I think legacy is the right word to describe Chris Dickerson over the past four years, five years, and. He deserves to be in that club. Chris Dickerson is the world is is right now the world's number one in just without question in my opinion. All right, let's talk about Paul Macbeth. Paul Macbeth ends up finishing up inside the top ten, even though he had a terrible round three. What happened? Well, he came out after Austin Hannum shot a twelve under set the course record in round two. Macbeth shot a 16 under at WR Jackson. Comes in at 1091 rated and just a blistering performance. Thankfully, somebody had a camera on him and it's up. You can watch a full round on his YouTube channel. And the guy was just, he was making from everywhere. And like, you know. McBeast mode activated. <laughs> the problem is, in the even rounds at the tournament, Josh, he went 26 under. In two rounds, he went 26 under. 26 under. In the other two rounds, he went six under. In the odd rounds. And that has been the problem for Paul McBeth. And as a four-round major, you know, as, as incredible as that round is, I don't think that that record may never get broken. Oh, I what's crazy what's even crazier to me about this record you know when we talk about eagle and his distance and how he can you know how far eagle can throw and we talk about you know when you use the pga equivalent of tiger proofing courses because of the way he plays how do how do you tiger how do you Macbeth proof courses it's not that he throws the furthest it's it's that the guy just is exceptional he's so good he's so good the only way they make Beth proof courses is Waco style, where they just make it an impossible par three. Where oh, that was a par five. Yeah, we're gonna make it a par three now. Good luck, <laughs> McBeth. <laughs> Shoot eighteen under here now. <laughs> but really, I mean, it's why he's the most popular player on earth. Mm-hmm. It's why he's the winningest player of his era. It's yep. why he's the greatest player ever to play the game. It. I, I don't want to hear the climo talk anymore. Sorry. I just don't like he's done enough at this point. And it's not about the 60 under round. It's not like that proves anything, but his ability to just, just carve up even the hardest of courses. It it, it is, it's unbelievable to watch when he's in that zone and he's just hitting from circle two. It it is crazy. The guy gets in such a crazy zone. 
Uh, I cannot believe this only came in at 1091 rated. We can just talk in general, like the ratings deflation on this OB free wooded course compared to Macbeth. He has his highest rated round. The highest rated round ever is his 17 under at the Memorial from 2013, you know, years back. He shot a 17 under, which is obviously an amazing round, right? He has the two 18 under rounds, amazing rounds. But for this 16 under at W.R. Jackson, which is now three strokes better than any other round that's been shot, because shout out to Gannon Burr, who shot a 13 under in round four. Yep. To only to not even eclipse the 1100 mark just shows you that there are problems with the rating system and it's not perfect. Like I, I, I there's no defending found like you know Fountain Hills getting all these 1100 rated rounds and then this 16 under, which is just like an order of magnitude better than anybody else has ever shot that course. Like it's just. There's something about the way that the OB works with the math and like how like worse players deal with the OB and like the extra strokes they take because of that, that breaks the rating system in some way. And it's okay to acknowledge it, I think. Like basically, I think we should deflate all Fountain Hills Memorial rounds by about 25 points or something. You know, smarter math minds than me can probably come up with an actual, you know, calculation to do. But uh you know, this this is one of the great rounds that has been shot in disc golf in a long time. Despite that great round, this is actually the first time Macbeth has missed the podium at a non-USDGC major since the 2012 Stockholm Open where he took 13. That is insane. Can you believe that oh, That's number? a crazy <laughs> stat, Josh. Wow. I mean, and it's not like he was far off from winning this tournament. In some ways, like obviously he didn't do enough and he, he just had a simply a bad round three. Paul Macbeth shot 17 strokes better in round four than he did in round three. Okay. Sub thousand rated round three, almost 1100 rated round four. I mean, it, you know, you just can't, you can't lay the egg like he's been laying the egg in some of these rounds and expect to win these days. Like, I think you could get away with that in the past if you're Paul Macbeth. Because, you know, you could just overcome that bad round with three amazing rounds. But other players are too good right now. You know, Charlie, I'm going to have a slight disagreement with you there. I think Charlie, I think Paul Macbeth could have one really bad round and still do it. He can't have two really bad rounds yeah, and do it. That's though. fair. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> right? I mean, that the fact that his round four was half of his score relative to his other three rounds, right? He went from 16 under to 32 under in one round. Two good rounds, and that round would have been enough for him to win this tournament. Yep. It, uh, it one, what, you, what we need to say is that one great round can't carry Paul Macbeth to a win at the majors anymore. Three great rounds from Paul Macbeth, and that guy could be 10 strokes clear of the field still. Well, how about this? I mean, Katrina Allen kind of pulled a Paul Macbeth in the same sense, like didn't have her best performance and then showed off why she has absolutely massively elite ability and fired off the best round of the weekend in FPO seven under bogey free in the final round to get her back to even par and jump 13 spots. She was in 18th and she finished in fifth. Amazing round from Katrina Allen as well. And uh, 
you know, not not as momentously incredible as McBeth's 16 under, but still, um, you know, you feel like players when they shoot like that must be like, damn, like, where was that earlier? Like, if only I'd have that earlier, I could have won this thing. Uh, according, I, according to Katrina Allen's social media page, and I didn't hear anything about thing about this from the commentators, but that was also a course record on the FPO side. Well, that makes Granted, sense. It has to. There be. were some changes, so it has to be. There, I mean, there were new T pads course. this year, so like by definition, it's the since it's the best round this weekend. Um, but it I mean, is, I think but... it was even on an old T pads, she probably would have shot the hot round of all time. Right. Yes. So congratulations, Katrina and Paul. New records on that course. Some crazy good rounds. Katrina now has the longest active elite series and major cash streak, 138 events in either division. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, we were looking at that. Katrina Allen has been good for so long. She's been above, was it, did we say 940, 950 rated since for 10 years now? So long. So long. Okay. So a couple other key storylines here. Uh, Sarah Hokum finishes in third place in FPO. Just continues to be a master in the woods, Josh. <laughs> and uh, I'm glad I had her on my podium. Uh, by the way, we each pick. scored four points this week in the uh, in the picks. We, neither of us picked a winner correctly. Came close in some spots, but not not quite. And uh, Josh gets a bonus point for Own Scoggins finishing inside the top five as his dark horse. My FPO dark horse, Holly Finley, <laughs> led the tournament after round one and then did not cash. Yikes. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's Woods Golf for you right there. Um, in the over-under contest, Josh wins two, I win one. We'll get to the purse watch in a little bit. The uh, over on the purse, I had said at 118,000, and it ended up over. We'll get to that a little bit later. Uh, Josh, how about Valerie Mondahano, sixth place? This is her first time missing the top five since like August of last year, and. It's not like that's some kind of, you know, oh, what a what a sad disaster to finish in sixth. No. I mean, it just shows you how good she's been and how good she still is. Like half the people in front of her were our former major champions. And I think Valerie Mondahano is, you know, next. I think she might be the next first time major winner. I, I think that's a good pick. I would not be taking a bet against that. That's Valerie played... Also had a bad round, right? Round one was not good. 933 right. rated was not enough. You clean up that round a little bit and she's up there. She could have easily been contending for the podium and she kind of was contending for the podium. So it, it was a great weekend for Valerie. She's got to be thrilled with her finish. Alexis, her sister, also great, great performance for her. I mean, we talked about her falling off. We kind of expected her to drop down. But to still stay up there in seventh is it's a good finish. So Monahano sisters have a great weekend. I'm sure they are celebrating. Well, we talked about Chris Dickerson. Let's talk about Ricky and Calvin, who shoot seven unders in the final round. Uh, Dickerson shoots an eleven down, and that was enough to get him over the hump. Um, is this a disappointment for either of those guys? And and who is more disappointing with not coming away with a victory this weekend? I feel like Ricky's got to be more disappointed here. Um, and, you know, maybe it's just because I can't see it on Calvin's face. But I think with Ricky, it, he's got history here. I mean, this is where he won his last world championship. He plays incredibly well at this course. And for him to come in and, and really have, I think, just a round that was not befitting of what we know Ricky can do. Or um, had he done the whole week? 
or had he done the whole week? Exactly. Yes. And you know, his putting was off. His circle two putting was off on that round. Ricky obviously could have done better. Calvin could have done better as well, but Ricky has to be leaving kind of kicking himself here. Definitely wishing that he could have competed and been a little bit closer coming into that final, but hole 17 was the drive that, that stopped him. Ricky just wasn't as clean on final day. And I, you know, he's got to be kicking himself. Josh, let's talk about who missed the cash. Who stands out? Oh, man. There's quite some names. Uh, Luke Humphreys, after a hot start, misses cash. So it's it's too bad for him. Uh, but we also have Thomas Gilbert, who was another one we were watching. Been playing of the great this season. For a hot start. Yep. Mm-hmm. He misses. Vino Makala misses cash. Uh, Lowry Lettinen misses cash. Albert Tom misses cash. After coming uh, off the win. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Linus Carlson, not a good week for the Europeans. Uh, Paul Ulibarri down at 71st. Oh, man. He's been having a rough go of it so far this year. Yeah, he really has. And that's, I I mean, I don't know where his worst finish is at a major, but you've got to imagine this is it in a very, very long time. Well, and we got to go way, way, way down there to 88th place to find Adam Hammes. I mean, just Man. a dreadful. He had three rounds rated below a thousand to start his tournament. It, it was just a brutal week for Adam Hammes. I mean, he easily the best player in the bottom half of the leaderboard. Yes, uh, it's I. <laughs> there are not a lot of ten thirty guys in that part of the leaderboard. You, you have uh, to go back. You have to go all the way to twenty seventh with Kyle Klein to find somebody rated higher than him. James Proctor is the only other 1030 or better rated player who missed cash at this tournament. And James Proctor missed it by one stroke. Uh, I think Scott Withers is in that group too. Is Scott Withers 10, in the 1035 mark? rated? He's in 82nd. Okay, yep. So two okay, other okay. guys. But yeah, I mean. Not not a place you want to be. That's not the company you want to be holding. In yeah, the group, it's, it's, so. been, it's been a tough start for Adam Hammes this season. Uh, over in FPO, you know, I mean. Look, it's just hard to cash these days. Uh, Holly yeah. Finley mentioned her already. Maria Oliva, who's been playing well, missed cash. Macy Vela Diaz missed the cash. Uh, Ella Stacey Hansen Haas. missed the cash. Rebecca Cox, Jessica Weiss. Like, there's a lot of good players. I mean, it's because yeah. the the 40 players who competed this weekend are all really good. So you're going to yeah. be a lot of good players who don't cash, and like that's the future of professional disc golf right there. Like being you can- a big name doesn't mean that you're going to make money. You, I look down this leaderboard and I know basically every name in yep. this in the FBO field. Yep. Every one of those names, I'm like, wow, that person didn't cash. Well, it's because not everybody's allowed to cash. That's right. <laughs> and we got to give a little shout out to Kona Panis, who's really been picking it up a little bit of, as of late. Yep. She finishes in eighth place this weekend, tied for eighth. Yeah, good finish. Good finish for her. It's funny because uh, you know Champions Cup, they announced there would be no three figure checks. Uh, going to the payouts due to ties yeah. there were two five hundred dollar checks for 16th place at fpo and then an mpo there was a four-way tie for last cash they each get 250 bucks but that's still pretty exciting we'll get a little bit more into it when we get into purse, purse watch but when last cash is getting a thousand bucks that's pretty good yes nice money on the line we'll get to that in a bit josh before we move on uh any final thoughts on key storylines this weekend you know, just one storyline, Charlie. I was seeing it a little bit in our subscriber Discord, uh, but I also saw this just on Facebook discussion and Reddit. 
there was a lot of complaints about the commentary this weekend. Mm. Um, this is not something that's new. Um, there's been a lot of, com- there were complaints about the disc golf network. Cell coverage wasn't great. We knew that was going to be the case. There was going to be some fuzzy parts. The audio had some issues. I mean, yes, but an NBA playoff game also had jackhammer noises in the background. So those issues are never going to completely go away. Uh, I'm not too worried about that. But the commentary was one that, as usual, is the best way to put it. There was some complaints. The biggest one that I saw was that there was a overwhelming lack of gravitas when it came to discussing this tournament there did not feel like there was an adequate weight given to the importance of certain holes, the importance of the overall tournament even, and the winners, that this was the first major of the year. We just didn't hear that come across from the commentators. And one example, just coming down the stretch, Calvin throws his drive on hole 16, kicks left, and Philo says, oh, well, Calvin is now out of competition. He's not going to be able to to, to come back from this one. And then Calvin throws an upshot and makes a crazy putt, and Philo goes, oh, Calvin is back in this tournament now. It, it just, nothing. I mean, it was just so dead, and I struggled with it. A lot of other people struggled with it, and I think, especially for the first major of the year and its inaugural year, that's something that really needs to be present in the commentary. I think it's uh, an evolving art right now in disc golf. There's not a lot of people doing commentary. And I do think, I, I will say this, okay? As somebody who's had to do multiple rounds in a day, knowing that Ian Anderson has to go in there and do two rounds a day of a major tournament for four straight days, it, it is not... I I would like to see DGN move away from that. Yes. Because when I do two rounds in one day, one day at a Silver Series event, which is what I've done this season, I am so exhausted afterwards that like I have to lie down for a couple hours and just recover. And that's one day. It's very difficult to adequately prepare for both divisions and for both broadcasts and to bring the correct energy and focus that is required for both rounds for four days. I can't imagine. It would be incredibly difficult. So, you know, I'm I'm not going to sit here and make excuses. I do think that there were issues with the commentary in terms of the overall just sense of weight and preparation for discussion and, you know, finding those moments to step back and just let the golf be the golf. Uh, Everyone's going to have their personal preferences on that kind of thing. And so, I don't know. I just, I think uh, it's it's hard when you're asking somebody to broadcast for eight, nine hours a day and try to manage all of that it takes to stay focused for that long for that many days. So, that's my thoughts. Fair thoughts. That That would be really difficult. There are commentators. Ian should not have to do both days, both divisions. That I agree with you there. So, yeah. So anyway, let us know your thoughts. We're we're gonna do a mega mailbag episode on Thursday. So we want to hear from you. Upshot at ultiworld.com. Whether you agree with what something we said today, you disagree. Uh, Storyline you think we missed. Thoughts on this tournament overall, like the Champions Cup. How did it go? Uh, 
and uh, you know we want to we want to get all of your your thoughts. And you can also hit us up on Twitter at UltiWorldDG, and you can find us in the Discord as well. So we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna talk about the Kristen Tatar caddy child controversy, caddy child controversy, three C's. Uh, and we're all gonna also gonna into purse watch, and we're gonna take a look at the Disc Golf Pro Tour standings. Don't go anywhere. The Upshot is presented by Pound Disc Golf, makers of the best bags in the sport. And you know what? If you want to get the custom pack that you envision in your mind's eye, the pack of your dreams, you can do it at any time. Go to pounddiscgolf.com and you can get your custom Octothorpe, your custom Octahall, your custom Carlton, your custom toolbox, and their custom pack builders are now open all the time. No more waiting for drops or hoping that you get lucky. You can just go build your pack. You can tinker with it for a while before you hit the order button, but you can check it all out on their website and you can just design it exactly how you want from the zippers to the main flap to the bottom of the pack, exactly what you envision. Pounddiscgolf.com. Welcome back to The Upshot. Well, the disc golf internet exploded on Monday after Kristen Tatar made an Instagram post where she talked about the fact that her daughter, who was caddying for her in the final round, she's nine years old, had to stop caddying for her after she got information during the round that she could be disqualified for having a caddy who was under 13 years old. And it is the case that in the PDGA rulebook, it's new this year, it says that caddies must be at least 13 years old. So everybody started going off on all of the theories about what happened and, oh, you know, did Paige Pierce call out the rulebook to try to get into Kristen's head and la da 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 da. So here is what happened, okay? Here's what happened. I've, I've personally talked to Kristen. I've talked to the PDGA, talked to Robert Leonard, the TD, talked to the marketing director of the PDGA, and looked into the conversations that were happening from other people who were involved. And here is basically what happened. Elaine King, who is color commentator for the Disc Golf Network, as well as the uh, vice president of the PDGA board of directors, very knowledgeable on the rules, actually messaged during the final round when she saw that Kristen was playing with uh, her daughter as the caddy, messaged Paige Pierce's caddy, as well as uh, the PDGA executive director, Joe Chargoloff, to say that Kristen could be at a risk of getting disqualified if somebody were to call out that she uh, was using a caddy that was you know, disallowed in the rule book. So Paige Pierce's caddy shows this to Kristen on hole four of the final round. And Kristen is like, what? And so Paige Pierce's caddy has a friend in the gallery who volunteers to be the supervisor for Kristen's daughter. And so Kristen sends her back away from the group in order to deal with that and is just trying to focus on her round. Meanwhile, she messages her partner, Silver Lot, who 
communicates with the assistant TD about what they've found out from Elaine King via this message to Paige Pierce's caddy. Uh, and that's Chuck Connolly. Chuck Connolly, the assistant TD, tells Robert Leonard, the TD, and they discuss it and they, you know, there's not even a warning given. Uh, Robert Leonard said it was never even a consideration to have some kind of disqualification. No players on the card ever mentioned anything about the caddy uh, being an issue, her, her daughter being there being an issue at all. Uh, I mean, it's probably likely that no one even realized this was a rule. Uh, the, her daughter did have a caddy badge that was issued to her. Um, so the PDGA staff gave her daughter a quiet sign so that she, you know, she could hold that up. And so she got to be right at the front and she was only you know, 40 feet back of, of Kristen at any given time as they advanced on the course. Uh, Kristen, understandably, was al alarmed by the situation ab about the idea that she might get disqualified. Uh, and so, I mean, again, to recap, Elaine King, who was commentating this tournament, messaged during the tournament to Paige Pierce's caddy that Kristen Tatar... Now, I think that Elaine King was just trying to warn Kristen about the possibility of her getting into some kind of trouble or getting DQ'd, and so wanted to communicate that. Uh, this obviously has been an extremely hot topic with people weighing in with crazy conspiracy theories along with genuinely informed takes about what this means, whether Elaine King should have done this or whether the PDGA should have done something different. I think it's important to note that when Kristen got this message, she immediately got her daughter out of there and into the gallery before speaking to anybody from the PDGA because she didn't want to get in trouble. And later, Jeff Jacquois, part of the PDGA staff, came over and said, hey, you know, don't worry. There, there's not going to be any issues. Everything's under control. Um, so the PDGA, you know, didn't order, didn't issue a warning. There was no strokes. There was no DQ. There was never a discussion of any of that. And the round continued without incident. Uh, no one even knew about this until Kristen posted about it on Instagram after the event. And if you go back and you look at the coverage, you can see her daughter is with her until hole four, and then she's not. Um, so Josh, there's a lot of angles you could take here. Where do you begin with this one? I think that the outrage at the PDGA is misplaced because they didn't even get involved in it. I mean, they helped rectify the situation after the panic and trying to take care of the situation. So I think any any animosity at the PDGA is probably misplaced, especially the tournament staff. Um, I think a lot of fault here lies with Elaine King. If I really, so I, I was unaware. I thought that she had messaged the tournament director directly. We, you know, I I looked at the article and I'd seen some of the details, but it's, I, I hadn't fully read and talked to you yet. So this is the first time I'm hearing the full complete story. And, and my initial gut reaction is just, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of a good word to use, but I cannot believe, I, I'm really shocked that Elaine King did that. Sending it to an opponent's caddy even if it was well-intentioned, is just not the solution to trying to handle issues like this for a couple of reasons. First, does Elaine King also message caddies when there's 30-second time violations and foot faults that those need to be called as well? I mean, does 
does does it matter? Did, was it affecting people on the card or Lane King personally? I, I I really am struggling to understand why this became such an important priority for Lane King, especially sitting in the commentary booth. And I really am overall disappointed at the way that I just don't feel like it was handled appropriately on her part. This is just an insane story. I'm sorry. This is insane. <laughs> this makes no sense. Like, what are we doing here, folks? Here's the thing. There's a few things that I think are all true. Number one, it's totally reasonable for the PDGA to have a rule about how young a caddy can be. You shouldn't be able to have a three-year-old be your caddy. Can we agree? Can we, we all agree? We actually, I remember us talking about this rule when we were doing our rules recap and going, yeah, makes sense. Cool. Yeah, Let's man, move on. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing to say about it because it's a totally right. logical rule. Okay. Sure. So that's totally fine. Yep. Now, the problem in disc golf right now, this is the problem, okay? Rules are being enforced in a haphazard manner that doesn't make any sense. And some people are like, well, you know, what about the people who aren't matching the dress code? Because there's other caddies out there who didn't have the right <laughs> dress code. And you know what? I mean, they got a point. There's yeah. dress code rules in the in the rule book. And you know what? We look past them because who cares? That's what should have happened here. <laughs> Why are you bringing this up? Uh, yes. What? Who? Who besides Elaine King was thinking we need to worry about the fact that she has her daughter there as her caddy? Who? She was being perfectly, totally fine, completely professional. Was better dressed than half of the other people out there as caddies. Okay. Why? From I don't understand. From the commentary booth, your messaging the people on the course and and not not just like you're not contacting you know the td that like yes, you know messaging joe chargoloff fine that makes sense sure sure but yes like I, I i look i get it i don't think that there's anything malicious here from elaine king i don't think she was trying to like alert page pierce in order to like have page pierce like throw some kind of rules thing i mean people are coming up with some crazy stuff that's not what this is about and you know what elaine king is right the rule book does say that she cannot have a caddy under the age of 13. That is a fact. It is a fact. Kristen Tatar should probably know the rules better and know that that is a rule. But again, literally nobody was worried about this, including <laughs> any of the people on the card, which is the people that really matter in the situation, or any of the PDGA staff who are actually at the event. So why was this brought up? Here's the problem. It's one thing if Elaine King was at the event she was walking on the course and she was like, you cannot do this. But I have to say, it, it if you think about a, another, a, an allegory to this, right? Like, there I don't know, one. Jeff Van Gundy <laughs> is in the booth for the NBA broadcast and he recognizes some sort of rules violation and he'd like text the coach on the other team and says, hey... The other team is doing this thing. Can you please let them know because they could get into trouble with the NBA about? I mean, it's just crazy. It's crazy to think about that. Okay, uh, it, it's just it. It is not the place for a broadcaster ever to be getting involved in the actual outcome of the event. That goes for someone who's an on-course reporter or. A, doing an interview or whatever. That is not the place. And I understand that Elaine King 
is, you know, a board member and knows the rules really well. It doesn't like, matter. I, it just, to me, you can't have it happen that way. I don't think anybody did anything really wrong here in the sense of like, you know, applying the rule. It sound, once this once this rule, so in general, the PDGA, when they are alerted to the fact that there is some rule that needs to be applied, they are pretty consistent about applying it. Mm-hmm. Let us remember. And I think you could even see the thought process here from Elaine King. Valerie Jenkins got DQ'd from a tournament a few years ago because her caddy had a beer can in the bag and that's a big no-no. You're not allowed to drink if you're an active caddy. And somebody pointed it out and she got disqualified from the tournament. I think she was in the lead or she was close to the lead. And this was this was like a it was kind of a controversial moment. So you could see the thought process there of like you don't want that to happen again because of a rules infraction. But nobody in their right mind was ever going to consider disqualifying Kristen Tatar, who was in the lead at a major championship in the fourth and final round, for having her daughter carrying the back. It was never going to happen. This is an insane story. I I, I can't get over it. I, and and like I, people are coming up with all kinds of stuff. Like uh, you know, I, I think everyone needs to just think for a second about like what. Like, if you assume everyone has good intentions and good motivations, we can see how everything played out exactly the way that it did. Uh huh. And I think it, everything was handled just fine in that context. But it is inappropriate for a broadcaster to be interfering. I mean, even setting aside the fact that this was like video, you know, there's rules in the rule book about you can't use video for certain things now like i don't know it's a gray area when like there are staff out there who are also able to obviously see that she's got a nine-year-old caddy but you know then there's people who are saying that the pdga is totally in the wrong for even enforcing this rule and that this rule is completely idiotic and like we should we should support (laughs) parents and whatever else and it's like yeah but like hang on a second like this we're, we're trying to professionalize the sport it is totally reasonable to say that you can't have children as your caddy. I mean, it's just like, come on, folks. Yes. And 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 here's here's the big point that I, I think is really important. What if Paige's caddy didn't have good intentions? Like, what if you message Paige's caddy and Paige's caddy like, huh? Well, this works pretty well for me. Hey, Paige, I got your back. Just, I'll be right back. Hold your bag for a second. Hits up the TD and is like, nine-year-old, I want her out, right? Like, (laughs) Uh. gone. The way this was handled, there were 36 other caddies not on camera that day. I'd be willing to bet 34 of them broke a rule one way or another. (laughs) And if they had been on video coverage, Elaine King could have texted their card too. But, and this this is the bigger issue, okay? If we really zoom out from this like very minor skirmish in the grand scheme of things where everybody basically was like, this was handled fine. And Kristen was like, I should have known the rule. It won't happen again. Uh-huh. And like, okay, here's the problem. There is massive inconsistency in the application of rules based on random whims. Mm-hmm. Time rules, foot faults, caddies, People wandering all over the course. It's it's just total free for all. And sometimes we decide we're going to apply the rule 
and you know everything was handled fine in this case but other cases we've seen like draconian decisions made and like why does it how are we going to get to the point where we have some consistency in this stuff so, yeah, you, so you could my... argue too that Christian Tatar's daughter should never have been issued a caddy pass yeah <laughs> I, and I don't know how that process worked, so like I'm not gonna go into detail on that. But like, I don't know, man. It's just it. I what's here's the here's the funny part to me though. Katie Tet shows up later in the round and jumps up with Kristen and is hanging out with Kristen as her caddy. As her, she doesn't have a caddy pass. Uh, maybe she got it from Kristen's daughter. <laughs> Can you can you swap like that? I mean, this I, I, I grabbed a caddy pass out of the garbage can and then I went out on the course. <laughs> Look, man, I got a media pass at Worlds. They'll give those things to anybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so here's my question for you, Charlie. I agree with you. I think the application of rules for the PDGA needs to get better. I don't think the PDGA is at fault here. I think they handled and tried to help Kristen once it was brought to their attention. Um. I think the overall and overarching inappropriateness lies with Elaine King as commentator to also step in and make and, and message Paige's caddy, right? Lots of problems with that part right there. How bad is this for the vice president of the board of directors of the PDGA and commentator for the Pro Tour? Formal apology bad? Nothing bad? Uh, just a social media post bad? stepping down bad like how bad do you think that this is it's definitely not stepping down bad i think people need I don't to have think some so perspective either. here and like think about the you know what the intentions were uh maybe she wants to come out and say something you know what's interesting about this is it would have been very appropriate for elaine king to say oh Kristen has her daughter with her as a caddy you know in the rule book that just changed the rules and you have to be at least 13 years old it could be really interesting to see if this becomes an issue in this round and like bringing it up on the broadcast as a point of like, here's a rule being broken sure. and like, well, let's see what happens with that. It, you know, it, in some ways it feels like that could be more inflammatory because then maybe other people are like, Ooh, and they, you know, they're messaging and like, and so maybe Elaine King was thinking about trying to avoid that, but possibly, but, but either way, in my opinion, that's more appropriate than what happened here. Which yes. feels like it was a, a very much inserting herself into the competition. And this is not just an A tier or something, right? This is the last round of a major championship. It's just not the time for that. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people wearing multiple hats in disc golf. I think that Elaine was thinking about her position as a PDGA, you know, board member and someone who knows a lot about the rules and was, I think, looking out for making sure that no one got in trouble. However, if you're wearing the commentator hat at that point, it's a very different question. And so, you know, does it? Do we need to have a big, you know, hoopla about this? Uh, no, I think this story is dead in a day. But I, I, I do think like we this needs to be a moment for us to reconsider what are the rules and, and how are we enforcing them. And you know what? Let's be honest. I think Kristen Tatar should be able to apply for an exemption to the caddy rule if she wants to have her daughter carry the bag. Okay? Her daughter who flew from Europe yes. and doesn't speak English. I, I think people well, understand like, that that seems totally fine. 
Yes. The general standard rule of saying it needs to be a 13 year old, that's fine. I think that's totally okay. If you want to apply for an exemption, I think that's fine too. I I really think, and this is maybe something to get into on another day. I think that the pro tour should consider adopting its own set of rules that are based largely in the PDGAs, but are met, are are adapted and changed and based specifically on viewer professional elite level disc golf. But this is a PDGA major, Josh. This wasn't a disc golf pro tour event, even though that <laughs> distinction right. is becoming You're right. blurred. You're right. Interesting situation. I, I, I'm sure we're going to get some very smart emails from listeners. So let us know. We got mega mailbag coming up Thursday. Upshot at ultyworld.com. Give us your takes. We need your takes. Um, okay. Let's get into the purse watch. And a fat purse it was. All right. This was the biggest purse of the year. $130,000. Almost $60,000 more than any other tournament so far this season. Uh, almost $100,000 in MPO payout alone. $95,000 added cash, Josh. The MPO winner got thirteen grand. The FPO winner got eight grand. That doubles the uh, FPO highest payout so far from this season. And it is um, not quite double in MPO, but pretty close. Uh, so Champions Cup, ginormous payout. It would have been the third highest payout uh, of last year behind the Disc Golf Pro Tour Championship, 250K, and the World Championships, which are around 170. Uh, which, by the way, that tournament has way more players. So mm-hmm. this is only 140 players. And so a uh, very healthy payout. And I think a great way to make this event stand out in year one. This is exactly what the PDJ needed to do. They really did a lot of things right this weekend, okay? Like, let's think about overall. Kudos to them. They nailed it. Great course. Yes. It was really well manicured. The presentation mm-hmm. of the course was really good. I thought the spectator packages were really good. Uh, the money was really good. And the marketing of the way that they focused on this event being about, you know, the champions of various countries mm-hmm. and various tournaments. Awesome. They Great. crushed it. They, I agree with that. Uh, we have not talked enough about that. They hit this one out of the park. I would not be shocked if that $95,000 added cash holds as being more than the total purse of most tournaments this year. Good point. It's already beat every tournament thus far. It has. So, you know, take out Ledstone and then your majors and pro tour championships. Yeah. That number probably will stand as the highest, but more than any just total purse. So shout out to the PDGA for running what was a phenomenal event. Yeah. Really, really good. Uh, and this gives us a chance now to take a look at the Disc Golf Pro Tour standings. Because remember, the majors now count in the Pro Tour standings. 1.5x. Yes. So you get that bonus. Um, Chris Dickerson's in the lead. He just takes the lead right there. 150 points for finishing in first place. That's uh, about 20, a little under 25 points more than Ricky got in second place. So that was enough to push him ahead of Ricky even though Ricky has the uh, Texas States win and a second place at the Open at Belton. Um, Chris has obviously the two Silver Series wins and now the Champions Cup uh, win. So that's your leader in MPO. Over in FPO, no surprise, Paige Pierce out in front of Christian Tatar uh, with the uh, win at Champions Cup. And let's go down the leaderboard a little bit. Gannon Burr, fourth place, Josh. Joel Freeman is in sixth. 
Luke Humphrey's still in ninth place. Emerson yep. Keith cracks into the top 10 with a fifth place finish at the Champions Cup. He's been playing really well of late. He's got he a has. bunch of top 10s uh, in Texas and on the Silver Series and now a top five at uh, at a major. Uh, nice he, nice performance he, from Emerson. He he also has two events outside of 70. Yeah, he's it's been a little up and down. <laughs> what uh, else do you know? Drew Gibson in 11th. He's only played two tournaments, but his first place at LVC and 10th place at Champions Cup is enough to keep him in 11th. Kevin Jones, despite a not great season at 12th. Corey Ellis in 13th with a wow. strong performance this weekend. That's surprising, but I guess that's the the benefit of these the points that you get. He only scored... Well, so he didn't play Music City or open at Tallahassee, and he only scored correct. one point at LVC in Waco. <laughs> one point each. And he's in 13th because he scored 103 and a half points at the Champions Cup. I love it. Yeah. You know, if you're fourth at a major, you deserve to be up in the standings. Yep. And then, you know, rounding that out, Chris Clemens, 14th place. Shout out to Chris Clemens. A strong third place at Waco is really buoying up there. Matty O, well, despite only playing three events, has already jumped up into 15th place. Strong finishes Open Tallahassee and Champions Cup. And Kyle Klein, despite what I think is a lackluster season for him, still manages to round out the top 16, which, Charlie, is good for the match play championships right now. It, we have, what is it, three events left before we get to match play championship? Uh, that is uh, That plus a Silver Series. So plus after series. OTB Open, they will cut the top 16. So Elite okay. Series winners get an auto berth. And then anybody else in the top 16. Now, so far, all of the Elite Series winners are in the top 16 and are likely to be in the top 16. Uh, but just a note. So Kyle Klein is, is last in. Thomas Gilbert, Mason Ford, Gavin Babcock, and Kale LaVisca are the first four out. Some notable names not in that cut line right now. Ezra Aderhold, Greg Barsby, Aaron Gossage, Nicholas Antila, uh, Alden Harris, Adam Hammes, Eagle McMahon. You could get, continue down the list. Garrett Gerthy, who did not play a Champions Cup, didn't get in off the wait list. Ouch. <laughs> Got to be ready for registration, folks. No kidding. How about over an FPO? Don't, don't look uh, now, but Cat Merch is still up there, folks. Yes. You know, seventh place. The top six are players that I'm not really shocked by. Paige Pierce, Kristen Tatar, Katrina Allen, Valerie Mondahanu. You got to say the own Scoggins with a really strong performance at the Champions Cup was, I think, something that we had not talked enough about own was that she had a fourth place finish at Waco, seventh at Open at Belton, and fifth at Texas States. I mean, that's that's a strong season from own. Own Scoggins is an extremely good disc golfer who's probably never going to win an Elite Series event. I. You know, it's just like she doesn't quite have enough on the top end ceiling to to get those wins. But man, is she good. It's so fun to watch her play. She's extremely Uh entertaining, incredible putter. And, you know, look at that. I mean, it's been consistent top 10s, top fives all season long. Yep. Then you get to Missy Gannon at sixth. Sarah Hokum is still in the top 10 with Maria Oliva and Hedda Blumroos. (laughs) Evelina Salonen who managed to once again win the Strokes Gained and Worst Putter Award. I can't believe it. It, it was close this time. Henna really wanted this one from her. Oh, no. Uh, it was, on the putting was, side or on the driving side? 
both. Okay. <laughs> uh, so over here, it's definitely closer on the T to green. So Evelina Salonen is first on T to green, 20.25 strokes gain. Hannah Blomru second with 20.21. Four hundredths of a stroke is all that separated Hannah and Evelina. Over in strokes gained putting, uh, Evelina has the lowest at 15.38. Henna is at 12.34. And those are negatives, so, to be clear. And those are negatives, correct. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> uh, it, it was close. Evelina almost lost the title, but she manages to retain it. And a little bit of a preview. We have an interview coming up. We are going to be talking with a sports psychologist. So Yeah, we're going to talk be... about disc golf sports psychology. Yes. We, be we've been saying it. We've been saying Evelina needs to talk to one. Well, we're going to talk to one, too. Get a little bit of uh, information, so keep looking for that. That'll be coming this week. Next uh, next up, Elise Vegas, Jessica Weiss, Kona Panis, Emily Beach, and Alexis Mondahano rounding out your top 16 at the moment. On the outside looking in for the cutoff into the match play championships, Rebecca Cox, Ella Hansen, Holly Finley, Holland Handley, and Haley King, who just has not played very many events yet, sitting down there in 21st place. Interesting. Her Macy Villa Diaz down there too. There's some players who could de- still definitely make a move up the leaderboard. What What's important about here is I think that you could have an FPO winner who wins an elite series, but is not in the top 16. I guess it's possible. I feel like if you win an elite series, though, you're pretty likely to get up into that top 16. Because like, look at the That's differential true. right now. 16th place is 180 points. Haley King is at 139 and a half points. And she's only got two events. She's only yeah. played two events. But so, so <laughs> let's say she wins one, right? That's 100 points. Right. And she's, you know, comfortably up inside, maybe even the top 10 at that point. She is. 239 puts her in ninth place. As yeah, it stands right. today. But I mean, obviously, those other players would be accumulating points too. But, you know, you sure, figure she, but... she would probably get in the top 16. But, you know. Yeah. Anyway, it's going to be a fun race to watch. And of course, players jockeying for position at the end of the season as well. We'll keep you posted on the standings as we move through the season. All right, that is going to do it for this episode of The Upshot. Tomorrow on our interview series, we're going to be talking to Chris Dickerson, winner of the Champions Cup. And I'm actually not sure we've ever had him on The Upshot. So I'm really looking forward to talking with Chris. Um... And uh, we must have had him on at some point. But either way, I can't wait to talk to him. You know, two now two-time major champion, two-time disc golf pro tour champion. For me, number one in the world right now. Going to be a lot of fun. So stick around for that on Wednesday. And then Thursday, we'll be back with you with a mega mailbag segment. Get your questions in. Upshot at ultiworld.com. We want to hear from you on all things Champions Cup and the start of this 2022 season. For Josh Mansfield, I'm Charlie Eisenhood saying so long, and we'll talk to you on Thursday right here on The Upshot.